Hej och välkommen till en ny episode av PL Kvartere, en podcast med mig Lars Iversen i samarbete med Betsson. Siden det snart är er uppstart i Premier League nästa vecka faktiskt så tänkte jag vi skulle få tillbaka Bundesliga kommentator Kevin Hatchard som kommer få snacka lite om kan vi kan förvänta oss av coronafotbollen då han har kommenterat på en del kamper han följt Bundesliga väldigt nöje. Vad intrycken i här känslorna? Vad blir det här i England och med fotboll bakstängt dörrar så får grunda det så är er resten av episoden på engelsk beklagar igen för dock som inte trivs med det. Um, hi Kevin. That, How are you Lars? You well? That won't have made yeah, I'm great. That will not have made any sense to you at all. Uh, but I was just explaining that for for those of my listeners who are not fond of the episode being in English, I just have to apologize. But you know, <laughs> if you know, so you're it, apologizing it's, it's, for my I can just really I can ask you to do it in Norwegian. That that would be cruel. How not are you doing today? Last time it was a debacle last time, so you know. We did. I was I was planning on not telling them, but let's let's let some daylight in on magic and uh, and say that we actually recorded this pod yesterday. Uh but because I'm a monstrous idiot, uh I I had the wrong sort of uh, um, uh, settings on and it sounded like I'd recorded my end from a particularly vast and deserted bathroom I mean the audio was just really bad uh, so you very kindly agreed to come on and do it all over again <laughs> which no I really worries. appreciate it's fine it's like it would be like a kind of rare bootleg that people will find eventually yeah the the lost the lost pod no I'm not going to publish that which is a shame because it was, it was good you know uh, but there we go maybe it was maybe the best pod ever but well, you know it'll we'll never, never see know. the light we've of set it. a bar now haven't we we've absolutely we have so, so um, what I want to thanks for doing it again and being very generous and I had a lot of nice feedback on your last appearance on the pod got some nice messages the, the Norwegians oh, they it. like you um, this, I guess first of all, just on a personal note, before we get into the really serious business, have you enjoyed the Bundesliga being back? Uh, quite aside from the fact that you've been in work again, which is obviously great, but have you enjoyed watching the football? Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I've loved every minute, actually, because as a, as somebody who's worked in the Bundesliga for so long, actually, it's been really nice to have. Uh, the spotlight shone on the league for a while and you hope that some people will stay. I know the Premier League is back and so we'll lose a lot of those viewers and listeners. Uh, but I'm hoping that that enthusiasm uh, will stay for some. So that's been uh, great from a personal note. Um, and yeah, it's been great. And I've been really pleasantly surprised actually by the quality of the football, by the intensity of the football. And it really has been the Bundesliga as we know it. And I think that's great because I think what would have been a shame is if the eyes of the world had been on the Bundesliga and it hadn't really done itself justice. But I don't actually think, uh, unless you ignore Schalke, uh, the rest of the league, uh, I think, has represented itself really, really well. See, I'm really glad you said that because I was a bit worried that like... Maybe this is just me being an overexcitable golden retriever and football is just like, it's like a treat. I'm getting a treat for the first time in months and my tail is wagging crazily because I really enjoyed the games. But I heard on Five Live the other day an English ex-pro who shall remain nameless complaining about like there's been no intensity and the games have been a bit rubbish. And I was like, what are you talking about? But I mean, maybe I'm just too happy about there being football. But you're also, you agree that it's, it's been quite good, hasn't it? It's been really good. And I think the people who have said it lacks intensity I genuinely don't think I've watched enough games I've been lucky enough to have been working on two or three per match day and that's been great and I've been able to really you know when you watch it as a commentator you obviously are forced to really really focus 
on the game. And I think we've seen some really intense battles. I think if you look at um, the game between Köln and Dusseldorf, which is a derby in that particular area, not the most famous derby in that area. Köln Gladbach is probably uh, the top billing there. But there were challenges flying in. Um, there were yellow cards, there were refs being argued with, all of the kind of lovely, comfy things we like to see as football fans uh, that we've missed. So, you know, I think we have seen challenges flying in. Klaus Jazula at Paderborn, for example, continues to be a yellow card machine. He's now uh, drawn level uh, in terms of the all-time record of yellow cards in a Bundesliga season. He's racked up 16. So uh, he he hasn't lowered his intensity. So, yeah, I, I think... You have to give a huge amount of credit to the players. I think getting to 16 at this point, even with the big break, is, is truly impressive stuff. I mean, I consider Jefferson Lerma to be just an expert card yes. machine, but yes. he's stuck on nine. You know, that's that's not a, not an impre- not good enough. I'm expecting a flurry of, of awful challenges from Lerma when this <laughs> starts up again in the Premier League just to rectify this whole he's situation. Perhaps. Now, he has been very good. Perhaps the ex-pro I heard on Five Live had just been watching all Schalke games all the time. Maybe that's been the problem. That's entirely possible. I I think if you'd watched just all of Schalke's games, that would give you a bit of a skewed view of the league. But I think you have to tip your hat to the coaches, you have to tip your hat to the medical staff, and you have to tip your hat to the players because their discipline... Uh, has shone through, I think, in terms of the fitness that they've been able to attain in such a short space of time. And you look at some of the coaches as well. You know, Bruno Labbadia only had seven full sessions uh, with his players having taken charge uh, just before the restart. And they looked brilliant in their first game as they won 3-0 at Hoffenheim. So, you know, big, big ticks next to some of these names. Which I actually didn't realise that Labadia had that little time because he, f- for me, seemed like the sort of poster child of how actually lockdown was quite good because he had he had time to figure stuff out with his team. But he didn't actually forget how late he came into it and how to have been completely transformed. That brings me on to the first sort of proper question of the pod, a good six minutes in. The first of the questions I've written down, I want to ask you, because a lot of the listeners to this pod will be Premier League fans I primarily. And I guess what we really want to know now that the Premier League is coming back, um, how 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 have the sort of trends uh, carried on? Like are the, the good the teams that were good before are they still have they still been good? Are the teams are still been bad? Uh, are, are they are they are they now bad? Because I think a lot of people listening to this are sorting out their fantasy teams this week. Yes. <laughs> people are maybe looking at some bets, you know, this sort of stuff. Now, can we expect the form to, to carry through? What's been happening in Germany there? Or has, have teams been completely transformed? What's been going on? Well, the trends have largely survived, actually. If you look at teams like Leverkusen, for example, they were on really, really good form going into the hiatus. They got that fabulous win at Ibrox against Rangers in the Europa League, and they've been absolutely motoring in the Bundesliga, and they have continued that form. Yes, they lost recently at home to Bayern, but that's uh, there's no shame in that. Um and I, and I do think they've managed to maintain their momentum. And Peter Boss, their coach, has talked in glowing terms about how his players have been able to do that. I think as well with them, they play such a demanding brand of football physically. I actually think that kind of rest probably did them no harm uh, in some mm. way, shape or form. Uh, on the flip side of that, Schalke were awful before the hiatus and they've been 
awful since <laughs> even worse yeah i mean they're in danger of smashing up the statistical models they're so bad uh, so i think purveyors of xg are actually quite worried because i think uh, yeah. computer says no is kind of the uh, the answer to schalke's games i mean their recent game against uh, union berlin they drew 1-1 but they produced an xg figure of 0.15 which is absolutely extraordinary so I mean, they are victims, really, of a lot of injury problems. They've lost a lot of key players to injury, but also uh, a total lack of confidence. And I think you see that. We saw it with Werder Bremen for a big, big chunk of this season, that when players lose confidence altogether, it's very, very difficult to get that back. And even though Bremen had a little spike recently where they picked up seven points uh, from three games... Their old defensive demons that were there before the break are still there, so they still concede far too many goals at set pieces. And their attacking problems have continued, so they weren't scoring goals uh, before the hiatus, and they're not scoring goals now. So most of those trends, you would say, have survived. Bayern are still almost flawless. Dortmund are still winning almost all of their games, except when they play Bayern. So yeah, I think surprisingly, it hasn't been as if somebody's pressed the reset button and it's a totally different dynamic. But it's an interesting idea that you mentioned about uh, Leverkusen is that possibly sort of high-pressing teams who... um who, who do a lot of running and, and get through a lot of work physically uh, in a game and have a lot of high-intensity sprints because they want to pin teams back in this sort of thing. Maybe they have benefited from a little break. I mean, I guess that's one to look out for. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's definitely true of Leverkusen because we know how much work they get through with Peter Boss. And what's interesting about him is he's very much a plan A guy. And he has even said, <laughs> um, he said, why would you need a plan B if the player's... Um, operate plan A effectively. Uh, so he's never going to I'm just change. trying to think, what kind of letter would you give the plan of playing uh, Karim Bellarabi and Leon Bailey as wingbacks against Bayern Munich? Uh, um, I that... don't think there's a letter in the alphabet that fully conveys... Can we? Can that be plan and then just a poop emoji or something? I mean, yeah. it's, it's a very, it's a very odd one that that's been filed under plans that didn't work. I think. <laughs> but it's, but he he will do this. I mean, you. you because the wingbacks are so important to the way they play, the way he sees it is that, well, if they, you know, if Bellarabi's in there or Amiri's in there or somebody like that, we can teach them how to defend. It's fine. As long as they produce the kind of setup play that we want going forward, he doesn't really care. And what that makes for is incredibly thrilling football. Whether they're winning or they're losing, there's always something happening. So, uh, I, I was sceptical about Boss, actually, when he first went to Leverkusen because I saw how the whole Dortmund reign kind of went up in flames very, very quickly. But actually, he's managed to establish Leverkusen as a team that's a huge amount of fun to watch. But actually, they're getting results. They're in with a really decent shout of qualifying for the Champions League in back-to-back seasons. And given the competition they face, that takes some doing. Yeah, fun stuff. Now, um. On the on the subject of physical exertions, uh, one of my theories going into the restart of the Bundesliga, and, and I, think, I feel like it's been borne out to some extent. I'd like to get your take on it. Is that uh, playing in front of empty sta- in front of empty stadiums 
and that whole strange sort of slightly sanitized setting of it all would be uh, very bad for teams who rely on winning challenges the teams who sort of run around and bosh into people and maybe can't control a game but who get ahead through winning a lot of 50 50s and play a bit direct in this sort of you know i'm looking at you augsburg and 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 and, and to, to to an extent sort of union berlin and these sort of teams that they would not have a good time because i think if you take the the adrenaline of the crowd and all this out of it they just lose a little bit and maybe if your game's built on winning 50 50s uh, this is not a good time for you would you agree that that has been borne out I totally agree. Yeah, I think you're right, Lars. I think if you look at Augsburg, who you mentioned quite rightly, um, they have the lowest possession average in the league. Um, They have the lowest pass accuracy. So it's very much about direct football and about winning those challenges. And they have not looked anywhere near as dangerous at home as they perhaps usually would. And uh, I think they have suffered as a result of not having the fans with them. I think Union Berlin have suffered maybe more than anyone uh, with the absence of fans because their form has really tailed off. Um, They do play a physical style. Uh, And I do think that they've really struggled for rhythm and confidence since the restart. Doesn't help that they had buy-in in the first game uh, at home. Um, And that was a bit of a shame because obviously that would have been uh, quite the spectacle with with, uh, a full um, first arrive. But uh, I also think it's true of Köln because Köln uh, have great fans, really supportive fans, really excitable, raucous, loud fans. Peter Gulacci, the Leipzig goalkeeper, spoke this week about uh, how it was the away game at Köln that really brought it home to him. Uh, that the fans weren't there because he said he's used to having such a raucous atmosphere when Leipzig go there. So Köln haven't won since the restart. Uh, they, I think, have really missed the fans in the home games because, uh, for example, the game against Mainz, uh, they uh, lost a 2-0 lead and they drew 2-2. And even though they managed to rescue a 2-2 draw in the derby against Dusseldorf, they were pretty much outplayed for most of that game. And I think if they'd had the fans urging them on in that game they would have played a lot better that's an interesting one i i would definitely say that i mean we don't know if it's going to be the same but if you if you're setting up your fpl team or if you're looking at and maybe having a bet or whatever in the next couple of rounds in the premier league a little bit cautious with the teams that are very physical who rely on this sort of uh uh, the sort of bosh, just bashing into people and, you know, who feed off the crowd. So, you know, and I'm not just talking about Burnley, but they are certainly one. I'm, I don't, I'm kind of intrigued to see how, how Sean Dyche and Burnley do this because they're, they're quite a fun team to make fun of. But Dyche is a smart guy and, and he must be aware that this will be a slightly different dynamic. So really intrigued to see how that goes. So you mentioned the, the raucous home crowds, Kevin. I mean, I wanted to get onto this. I think this was maybe the question I should have led with. Uh, the home advantage, the numbers have been quite startling. And I've seen some uh, people conclude that home advantage is now gone uh, without people in the stadium. And, you know, um, this is obviously I'm trying to fight my own confirmation bias here because this is one of my big galaxy brain theories going into the Corona football that without the, the, the crowd there, there will be no home advantage to speak of. And of course, I, I like to be proven right, uh, but I'm not sure I have been proven right, really. I think there are some flaws to this theory and because uh, I think it's a little bit perhaps a little bit superficial to say already now that the home advantage is gone will you not agree yeah I think it's too early I think if you speak to guys who deal with data and deal with trends a lot they'll tell you that five match days simply isn't enough to draw any solid conclusions and I think 
if you look at a lot of those failures uh, by home teams, most of them are explicable. I think there's also a bit of a quirk of the fixture list. I think we've seen a lot of top teams go away to uh, much weaker teams who you'd expect them to beat. And also, Lars, there are some teams that just by nature function much better away from home than they do at home. And I think RB Leipzig are a great example of that because they've been drawing far too many games at home when teams set up against them defensively. Um, when they go away from home and they've got more space and they can be more cavalier, they're much more dangerous and score far more goals. So I think you have to take that into account as well. And I think also, if you look at the weeks leading up to the hiatus, it was actually rare to find more than three home wins in any set of nine in a match day. Mm. So I think by nature, the Bundesliga is a counter-punchers league. And so that lends itself uh, to away teams uh, picking up points. And so, yeah, I, I think it is too early. I'd be interested to look again at the end of the season, but my gut feeling is it hasn't had the monumental effect that people thought it would do. Yeah, exactly. And I I mean, I haven't double-checked the numbers, I'll confess, but I saw this on Twitter this week. Yes, 50% of away teams have won their games in the Bundesliga, which is a bizarre number. But in the same country, in the division below, only 18% uh, away wins in the Zweite Bundesliga. And they are, of course, also playing behind closed doors. So if the no crowd thing automatically means no home teams win ever, we would surely see the same effect in the Zweite Bundesliga. Uh, Yeah, and I think if you look at you know, the good teams will tend to keep winning at home. I mean, you look at Bayern, they've been flawless pretty much at home. In fact, they have been flawless. They've won every game. Um, You look at Dortmund at home, they pretty much win every home game apart from when they have to play Bayern. Um, And so a lot of those trends have continued. Leipzig's away form has continued. They've been much, much better away than they have at home. And that's kind of been the same before the hiatus and after the hiatus. Uh, Hoffenheim are still useless at home, generally, um, but much better away. So I, I think most of the trends have survived. I imagine home advantage has gone down a few ticks, but not significantly. And I think you'd need probably an entire season of football without fans in the stadiums to really get a proper picture. Yes. One of the things you mentioned Hoffenheim, one of the things I remember when this was all starting was that I was just desperate to find information that you could try to make it possible to analyze how this would go. Cause I, cause I write betting tips and like, I like to, follow trends and it's hard to know how, what to make of it after the big pause and I remember reading loads of articles about what the teams have been doing to prepare and I remember Hoffenheim in particular uh, apparently they'd done a lot of tactical work they'd done a lot of video analysis in the lockdown and try to help their players with the with the tactical systems I mean that obviously hasn't worked out very well they've not been very tactically accomplished and they've sacked their manager since the pause but I, I do wonder no one really knows what sort of preparations actually work because this is such an unprecedented situation. Is there a sense that some clubs have gotten things right more so than others in terms of preparing for this type of football? I don't think so necessarily. I think we thought we suspected that what might happen is that because we had this enforced break there might be an opportunity for some coaches to get their message across to mm. be able to work on some new tactics but if you look at the case of Bruno Labbadia at Hertha he only had seven training sessions mm. and yet they look 
a team transformed. And the irony is that they played Hoffenheim in the first game back and Hoffenheim had done all that video analysis, all that tactical work and how to beat them 3-0. So, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I think good coaches will be able to adapt to any situation, truth be told. And I think what we've seen with Labadier at Hertha is that he was able... The one thing he was able to do, Lars, was he was able to use that week when they were all in quarantine in the same hotel. And what he did was he had one-on-one meetings with every single player. And he spoke to them and he tried to get in their heads and he tried to kind of calm them down. Because if you look at their season, it's been absolute chaos. He's their fourth coach of the season. Jurgen Klinsmann flounced out after 76 days of his reign after asking for the earth and not getting it. So... He had I love his back. approach. Like he basically came in and told his immediate superior in the club that he wanted his job. I mean, yeah, he yes. was hired as a coach. Told the sporting <laughs> director that I want to do your job, yeah. and the sporting director went, "Well, no, no, you can't do my job." And he was amazed when it didn't work as well. That was yeah. my favorite bit. He was like, "Oh." Oh, you're not going to let me do that? No, we're not. <laughs> I usually do that for radio shows. I just kind of turn up and immediately tell the producer to naff off because I want to do his job yeah. instead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It usually is fantastic. It always works. And it's the equivalent of wanting to do the producer's job and present the show as well. That's what Glinsman yeah. wanted to do. <laughs> so uh, that didn't go very well. But yeah, no. so Labadier used that week very, very well. So it was a short amount of time, but it was a valuable amount of time because he had that face-to-face time with his players. I mean, I guess what we could say more generally is that most of the trends have borne through and there hasn't been any radical changes which i guess in a way is a bit of a surprise you would think a a hiatus of 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 this magnitude would would have some sort of dramatic effect on how certain teams play but that hasn't really been the case and that might be worth uh, having in the back of your mind going into the restart of the premier league season one last thing on the sporting sense. We were all worried that we'd have like a massive glut of injuries, that people would be twanging their muscles left, right, and center, uh, that, that, that the, the physiotherapy rooms would be full. Uh, has that happened so far? No, not at all. And that's been testament to the work done by those physios and the medical teams and also the players themselves, because it would have been very easy, I guess, in the lockdown phase for them to let themselves go a bit. Uh, but they haven't done that, and they've regained their fitness very, very quickly. And it's not as if it's been walking football, as we suggested, Lars. It's been really high-intensity um, football. Uh, you know, Vladimir Derida, for example, the Hertha midfield, has broken the uh, single-game record for distance covered not once but twice in the last two weeks. Uh, so uh, he's certainly not easing off. But we haven't seen those tears and tweaks and strains. Uh, that just hasn't been the case. So um, that has to be a, a big tip of the hat again to the players and the coaching staff. And it's interesting, and that's, I guess, one to consider for the FPL crowd. I mentioned FPL a lot because I wrote a really long article about it yesterday. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess the only thing you'd say is that, um, and, and you told me this in the Lost Pod, so I'm just going to claim this factoid, or it's not a factoid, but it's just an observation that I hadn't really picked up on. The Bundesliga are playing their games at a pretty sensible schedule. They're not cramming a bazillion games into a very short space of time in the way the Premier League are kind of having to do because they started so late. So I guess maybe the physical strain in England will be greater than it has been in, in Germany. 
Yeah, I think because Germany in general has managed to perhaps get a better handle on dealing with the crisis, they were able to restart the Bundesliga earlier um, than England and, and Spain and Italy. And therefore, they had that luxury of being able to ape their usual schedule. So what we've seen is the, the usual, a game on Friday, you know, some games on Saturday, some games on Sunday. So they have been able to stick to that. The only difference has been uh, an extra midweek round, uh, which um, <laughs> it's funny. They call it English Avocar in Germany, yeah. English Week, uh, because in England we obviously play uh, games every day of the week all the time. Um, and so in Germany, this becomes a really big talking point. And for about three weeks before and about three weeks after, they're always going on about the physical implications of English Avoca and how much uh, it's pushed the players to the limit. I always find that really amusing coming from England. So, uh, yeah, I think in general, because of that, we haven't seen the injuries. I think also we've seen a really good standard uh, of football. So I'd be really intrigued to see what happens in Spain because there's still a lot of talk about kickoff times in Spain and the heat, how that's going to make a, an impact because some yeah. of the kickoffs are not as late as we were led to believe. So it'll be interesting to see how that has an impact. And also in England, you know, we're, we are playing later into the year than we normally do. And there are going to be games crammed in because they have to be to get the season finished. So we may see more stresses and strains in England than we have done in Germany. Yeah, one to look out for, certainly. Now, one thing, slightly aside from the sporting uh, aspect that's been really different, and some will say a bit strange, is that we've had games uh, with artificial crowd noises being broadcast. Be really interested. I obviously have my opinion, because I have opinions on everything, but I'd like to, <laughs> I'd like to have your take. Uh, what's your feeling been? Uh, have you watched any of them? Have you commentated? Have you had artificial noise piped in while you're commentating? Uh, what's it been like for you? What do you make of it? So some of the games uh, that I've done, my understanding is some of the broadcasters have uh, piped in uh, crowd noise over the top. Uh, some would say they should turn it a bit higher just to obscure my commentary, maybe. <laughs> um, Harsh. Uh, I, I think, for me, it has to be a choice. So I think... Mm viewers need to be given the choice to either say, yes, I want this because I want it to feel a bit more like a, a usual game, uh, or they should say, no, I, I want it as it is uh, with, you know, the coaches shouting, uh, with players being able to organize their teammates, um, you know, with all of that stuff, with the, the thump of challenges and the thump of the boot on the ball. I have been captivated by all that, I have to be honest. Uh, I think that side of it has been really interesting. I think you can see who the leaders are in a team. Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Hummels, for example, at Dortmund never shuts up for the entire 90 minutes in a good way. You can hear David Alaba coaching Alfonso Davies through games on the left-hand side of that buy-in team as well. So uh, I think that is a really good thing. Ideally, we want the fans. Of course we do. And, you know, the loss of those fans from stadiums is something we should reflect in the coverage. And my own personal feeling, and I, I can totally understand why people want the fake crowd noise. And, you know, the, the technical guys have done a great job in terms of making it sound realistic. But my own view is there is something a little disingenuous and a little disrespectful because we should reflect the fact that the fans aren't there. I don't like the idea that fans can be replaced. Yeah, so yeah. 
I'm not sure that that sits entirely comfortably with me, but I can understand why broadcasters do it and I can understand why people like it. The point about hearing players talk is interesting. I, I remember once, a good while ago now, I, I was at Whitehair Lane for a game and uh, I was I got a place quite near to one of the goals so I could hear uh, Brad Friedel at the time, who was a big talker as a goalkeeper, was very vocal, uh, sending instructions. And it was really funny because throughout the entire half where they were, Spurs were defending that goal, I could hear him go, Kyle, Kyle, behind you, to, to Kyle Walker. <laughs> Like it was five side a, on a Monday just a, night. A very, a very young Kyle Walker at the time, who was a fairly dozy in, in his positioning, who was just being told where to go constantly by Brad Friedel. And I remember like the season after, I think it was, where Friedel was replaced by Hugo Lloris, who's not as much of a talker. And Kyle Walker was out of position constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's, these, it's these little things that, you know, you forget how human football is and that they're not automatons and you have all these sort of dynamics within a team that I guess you get a much better feel for when you can actually hear what they're saying to each other well it's really interesting so florian kofelt the Werder bremen coach um he he organizes the team constantly and when they played borussia mönchengladbach it was nil nil draw but Werder actually played really well and probably should have won the game and afterwards one of the gladbach players said he was really impressed with kofelt because he'd managed to maintain that energy and that stream of instructions all the way through. And I know I seem like the Bruno Labadia fan club, but uh, I think it's been similar with him because if you listen to a lot of the players, they're saying that because the stadium is empty, they can hear his instructions really, really clearly. And they mm. say that's been absolutely vital in terms of acting out his game plan because they know where they need to be positioned. They know where to be. And I think some of those players have taken that on board and can then disseminate that information through the rest of the team. So I think that is a really important point. As as a viewer, I've sort of found the the crowd noise, it, it depends on how I'm watching the game. Like for the games I've been watching really closely and just really tracking and with no other distractions or anything, I've found it really weird to have the crowd noise because from a lot of the camera angles, you can see that there's no one there. And then so you can see the empty seats and you hear the and you hear the audio and you yeah. get this really uncomfortable. It's like the wires get properly crossed in your brain. <laughs> It, it's like yeah it's it, it doesn't it's like you, you you're looking at something and you can hear something and yeah it, it doesn't it's it's weird but in certain other games and which may have involved uh schalke uh, i haven't been watching it that closely because life is too short and yeah. uh, and, and, and you get the laptop your eyes no and you a laptop you you get your laptop off and you, you send some messages and you check twitter and all this and in this one i've been second screening it a little bit I've found the crowd noises to be more helpful and, and manageable because I think when you're second screening it, you're kind of relying on the the tone of the commentator's voice and the sound from the crowd to, to basically tell you, you need to look up now because <laughs> something's happening. Uh, so in those games, I've, I've been kind of okay with it. So I don't know. Um, I actually really enjoyed uh, Werder Bremen played Wolfsburg the other day and Werder's attempt to generate... Um, atmosphere was one of their backroom staff was hitting a metal box with a wooden stick <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Leonardo Bittencourt who was one of the subs was basically conducting it so every time he felt it was a bit quiet and it needed a bit of oomph he would look across to this guy who would whack this metal box and I actually quite enjoyed that I thought that was quite good 
I like that for Man United games now we'll have sort of Mike feeling furiously banging a drum on the sideline. That should be pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Playing the kazoo, maybe, or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how that would drive anyone on, to be honest. Okay, listen. Uh, this this is pod, this pod has gone out of control. It, it's way too long. That's what we like. Actually, when, That's what we when like. I st- when, no, when I started this concept, my idea was there's going to be every episode is going to be 15 minutes, you know, with a hard out, and uh, <laughs> that's that's obviously not what's happened here. But while I have you here, we are going to we're going to call it to an end. But um, obviously, as you may know, it's an all a whole bunch of Man United fans in Norway, and um, and, and and some of them, uh, thankfully, listen to to this podcast podcast and in the last couple of days uh Quarantantoliso has been heavily linked uh, with the move to Man United at some point I'd, I'd be very interested in your take on whether you think that's a thing that can happen and and how he would fit in people who haven't watched Toliso that much uh, what sort of player would he be for Man United do you think I think it's the thing that can happen uh, I think his future at Bayern is probably a bit clouded because of all the injury problems he's had. I think he's a he's a guy that they like. He's a guy that they paid a lot of money for, but he's just had such bad luck with injuries. I mean, when he's on form, he is a goal threat and bursting into the penalty area. He can score spectacular goals. He can score simple finishes. Uh, he's decent in the air as well. Uh, or he can sit a little bit deeper. He's got a decent range of passes. Um, and he can get stuck in as well. So there's a lot to like about him. I thought he was terrific in some um, stages for Leon when he was there. Uh, and I think you could see how passionate he got from the fact that he used to go wild in the Rome derby against Saint-Étienne. He always seemed to lose his rag in that kind of game. And I always <laughs> think that's maybe a good thing, to be honest, because it shows that he cares. So yeah. I think he would be suited to the Premier League in terms of his physical gifts, in terms of his work rate. But it's just about injuries and they would have to make an assessment, United, about uh, whether they were prepared to take uh, that risk. In terms of Bayern, I think he's looked at the fact that Joshua Kimmich has been moved from right back to central midfield, looked Mm. at the fact that Leon Goretzka uh, has beefed up uh, and is a very very much strong man of uh, Bayern's midfield. They're somebody who used lockdown effectively, a lot more effectively than me. I went the other way. Um, So, (laughs) Have you gotten smaller? uh, No, no, but perhaps the muscle (laughs) definition isn't quite what Ah, it was. Ah, yes. so, because uh, I would say I have definitely gotten slightly larger during lockdown, just not in the same way as Leon Goretzka. No, no. Well, well, you know, it happens. Temptations, <laughs> biscuit, you know, things happen. Um, so, I think in terms of their depth in midfield, you know, Thiago still there's a bit of talk about whether he'll stay long term, but he's still there. So, I think he's going to be scrapping for a place. And is he one of the first names on the team sheet? Absolutely not at the moment. So. If United were willing to commit a chunk of money to it, I think they'd be getting a very, very good player. But given his injury record, that's going to have to be something they'll consider very carefully. And he's quite a versatile midfielder, Talisa, in the sense that you can both give him a sort of role to to play box to box he's got good timing in terms of making runs into the box he can be a real goal threat uh making those runs Uh, but he's also a guy who's quite comfortable if you ask him to sit deep and spray passes around he can do that as well so i guess he gives them quite a few options there if he can if they can get him and if he settles uh, yeah absolutely it's it'll be interesting to see if he has one last swing at trying to get a regular first team place at bayern um because 
I do think there are guys ahead of him, but you're absolutely right. I mean, this is an all-round performer who's been recognised at international level with France. Um, he is, you know, he has that ability to go past people. He has that ability uh, in the air to latch onto crosses in the penalty area, uh, but he can also tackle well. He's uh, willing to throw himself around in those defensive areas. So I, I think you'd be getting a very accomplished player uh, for any club that signed him. Um, and Bayern will probably want to raise some cash to go chasing the likes of Leroy Sané. Probably can't afford Sané and Havertz, but you know they've they have spent a lot of money on players recently. Bayern, uh, when you think of guys like Luca Hernandez who went there for eighty million euro, so they do need to be self sufficient and they do need to raise some funds. And Toliso is probably a bargaining chip they could use. Interesting, Kevin. Thanks a lot for all your insight and knowledge and wit yet again. I really appreciate it, and I especially appreciate you coming back to do a second uh, pod. And hopefully I can have you on in the future as well, uh, if, if, if you'd be so kind. I would kind. love that, yes. A ple- Brilliant. It's been a pleasure once again. Just, just, just for the hell of it, um, what games are you commentating on this uh, weekend? What games can we hear your magnificent voice on the on the world feed? Unless there's Norwegian commentary back in Norway, I'm not uh, sure. So uh, Friday nights uh, on various uh, radio uh, various radio outlets, uh, I am on uh, Hoffenheim against Leipzig. So Nagelsmann's return to Zinsheim. Uh, Saturday, I'm on the uh, TV World Feed, so I'm on uh, Köln against Union. And then Sunday, I'm on Schalke Watch, uh, once again on the radio, uh, Schalke against Leverkusen. And I think Leverkusen are going to smack them. So, so, yes, three (laughs) very enjoyable games coming up, I suspect. Yeah, yeah, Leverkusen is one of my one of the bets of the week of my betting column uh, this weekend. So that's uh, hopefully you're right on that one. Well, I, th- I think as well, it's kind of like, at the moment, anti-football versus total football, that game. Yeah. So I think it's going to be uh, a really intriguing uh, clash of styles, shall we say. I, I saw one of the stats guys on Twitter point out that uh, David Wagner, Schalke, they just kind of, they seem to press quite a lot, but they're not effective in winning the ball. And when they have the ball, they can't keep it very well. So it's like the worst of all possible worlds, <laughs> yeah. tactically. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> strange, actually, because they... they they started with a lot of talk of positivity and they actually did start to combine and play some nice stuff. And I mean, Ari looked energized and looked really good. He's now disappeared pretty much. And they've just, it's fear, Lars, really. They've reverted to type. And I think that's what it is. It's just fear-filled football, unfortunately. Uh, well, sorry, this is incredibly ill-disciplined broadcasting on my part. I had rounded it up and then I went straight back into what's wrong with Schalke. Thank you so much, Kevin. We'll have to do this again sometime. See you soon. Cheers.